At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, if you have a Bible, it's near the back of the Bible, so you can go to the back of the Bible and then work your way a little bit to the front, and you'll come across 1 Peter. Now, how many kids do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're a kid. All right, okay, some of you are kids at heart. That's good. All right, it's good to see all the kids. How many of you kids love bounce houses? Okay, good. You like the big inflatables and you like to bounce around and all of that, and great. Well, good. Well, I want to share with you a very scary story today. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to share with you a story of my first experience in a bounce house. Now, I was about five years old, and, and uh, there was a, a fair that would come once a year to the Kmart parking lot just down the, the street from my house. And I remember one time my parents were like, hey, let's go to the fair. And so we go to the fair, and we're inside a, a Kmart parking lot, and I see this big, massive thing, and it looks like it's shaking and doing all of this, and their kids are like screaming and having a good time inside of there, and I'm like, I want to do that. And so my mom and dad, they're like, okay, you can go do the bounce house. And so I go over to the bounce house, take my shoes off, and I go in through that, you know, the little opening. And the first experience that I had inside of this bounce house was absolutely terrifying. I go in and immediately I'm trying to stand up and I'm getting knocked to and fro, up and down. I'm doing backflips and front fits and kids are jumping on my head and kids are kicking me in the stomach and, and I can't even get my footing and I can't even stand up. And the next thing I know, I find myself in the corner. You guys know the corner. Against the wall and against the, the other inflatable thing and I'm down in there and I can't breathe. I'm suffocating. Kids still keep jumping on my head and I'm screaming, not because I'm having a good time. I'm screaming because I'm dying. The, the greatest sound that I needed on that day was that whistle when the guy working the thing is like, all right, everyone out. I'm like, thank you. And I was alive again. I, I kissed the ground uh, after I got out of that, that bounce house. And I don't like bounce houses. I'm sorry. Those are scary death traps. But, you know, sometimes it feels like when we're living life, we feel like we're in the middle of a bounce house, don't we? Like we feel like overwhelmed when, when the trials keep coming and we, we feel like life just gives us a punch in the gut and we feel like we can't get our footing and we feel like the world is overwhelming and we feel like we just want to get off and it just won't stop. You guys ever feel that way? Yeah. Well, today I want us, as we begin this new series, I want us to talk about from the book of First Peter, we're going in this series, going to be looking at Unshakable. Realizing that the world around us wants to shake us. Life all around us is going to punch us in the gut. Sometimes we're going to go to the doctor and we're going to get bad news. Sometimes it's going to feel like our world is falling all around us. But God has designed us as his children to live unshakable lives in the midst of an ever-shaking world. How many of you want to, want to be able to be confident to weather the storm in the midst of the trials of life? Anyone? All right, if that's you, if you want to live an unshakable life, you've got to show up the next several weeks. Because every single week, we're going to learn a new tool, a new piece, a new way that God has designed us, the way God has empowered us, so that we can live in this ever-changing world, unshakable lives. I, I can't stress it enough. You're going to learn a little piece today, but it's not going to be enough because God has given us a full arsenal of tools. God has given us a, a full arsenal of opportunities and, and responses to this ever-changing world. So will you join me in the journey together? 
together. Let's journey uh, as we look through this letter of First Peter. Um, and over the next several weeks, we are going to look at um, Paul's letter, or not Paul's letter, Peter's letter that he writes to Christians that were living in a Roman territory that is located in modern-day Turkey. So they're, they're a little distant from the city of Rome and, and where the, the center of the Roman Empire was. Uh, but what we're going to see in this, this, this letter that Peter writes is he's trying to encourage the Christians that live in this area uh, that were living in a time where the culture around them was becoming more and more hostile towards their Christian faith and to their very lives. And so they're living in a hostile world, and Peter's like, hey, this is how you live as Christians and live out your faith in the midst of an ever-changing world. Now, what we need to understand is, is some uh, people believe that Peter's writing this letter about the same time of the Nero persecution. Now, if you don't know anything about, about history, one of the, the emperor back in uh, 64 AD, his name was Nero, and he was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And what had happened during that season is the gospel had spread uh, from the Middle East, from Israel in that area, and it had spread all the way up to Rome. And people in Rome were hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and becoming Christians. And so the, the Christian population was growing, and people were becoming more and more hostile towards uh, the Christian faith because they didn't understand it. And so Nero, being the emperor, was also kind of not a straightforward kind of guy. He was kind of an evil guy. And uh, in the summer of 64, we see that the city of Rome begins to burn. It burns for six days and seven nights, and over three-fourths three of the city were demolished through this massive fire. And there were reports, people trying to figure out, well, what's going on here? How did this happen? Some said that it was Nero that actually started the fires because he wanted to see the city burn and wanted to watch people suffer. And then people were like, well, that, that, we can't have that. And so, so Nero was like, no, I, I, I'm going I'm to flip another narrative here. I'm going to say that it was the Christians that started it. And so he's, he begins telling everyone it's the Christians that started it. And so people that lost their businesses, people that lost their homes, people that lost their way of life began to turn on Christians, and Christians became the enemy. And Nero continued to fan this flame and continued to, 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 to uh, go about and, and persecute more and more Christians, so much so that he was so evil that it's, it's said that he would take Christians as their life, he would arrest them, he would dip them in tar, and then he would set them on a stake around his patio at night and light them on fire. Like, this is not a nice dude. This is a really, really bad, evil dude that is doing horrendous things to Christians. And can you imagine living in that culture, being a part of the Roman Empire, and you being a Christian? Do you be worried, right? And so Peter is writing to these Christians that are living in this, this scenario, saying, hey, the world is going to be hostile towards you, but this is how you're supposed to live. And so today we're going to see two truths of, of how we're supposed to live. We're going to learn today how we are to live for Jesus in the midst of a hostile world. You know, even though today in America we're not being persecuted like in this time, um, we can see though we do live in an age where we're living in hostile times, right? We are, we're living in a world that is so divided. We're living in a world where there's so much division and there's so much pain and there's so much discord. And I think it's so important that we do take a look at this letter because it's going to help inform us as we live in these days how we're to live for Jesus. How does Jesus want us to respond to a world that is ever-growing in hostility? 
But today I want us to see two truths of how we're to live for Jesus in a hostile world. The first thing that we need to do is to embrace our new identity. Embrace your new identity. Look at me in verse one. We're only gonna get to verse one and verse two today. In verse one, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter begins, this is a letter. So he's writing to these these believers in this area and we see that he identifies himself as the author and then he identifies the audience and to who he is writing. Peter uses the title of an apostle. What he's saying is, is he's identifying himself as a messenger. He's bringing a message that bears authority. He's coming as a messenger of Jesus Christ. He's coming not on his own. He's not coming with his own wisdom. He's not coming with his own understandings, but he's coming with the words of Jesus to the church because the church needed to hear this message. So it's a powerful message that's coming. And then we see he identifies the audience. The audience are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now that's kind of, it should be very interesting for us, or not troublesome for us, but we should say, why does Peter choose to refer to these believers as elect exiles of the dispersion? What's he talking about? Who are exiles and what's what's going on? And sometimes we can be guilty of coming to letters like this and just glossing over the first few sentences. We're like, okay, well, he's gonna say who I am and who he's writing to. Let's move on. Let's get to the meat of, of the message. But I think it's important for us to stop this morning and really understand what P- Peter is setting the stage for this letter. So he's helping these believers by using this term. He's helping these believers see themselves through the lens of their new identity, to see themselves as exiles. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we, we know that their, uh, God's people, the Israelite nation, uh, went through a season of exile where they had been disobedient to God. They'd stopped following his ways and stopped following his, his, uh, the path that he had for them. They'd turned to worship other gods, and God said, okay, now you're gonna go through a time because you've been d- disobedient. This is gonna be a time of testing, and I'm going to, to bring about my punishment on you. So he rises up the Babylonian Empire, and, and they come in, and they, they sack Jerusalem and take over all of Israel, and God's people are dispersed, or they live as exiles outside of their homeland. They no longer are allowed to go back to Israel, but they have to stay in Babylon, and they stay there, there for years, and so they're living as exiles. And the people of God were dispersed throughout the land. And I think what Peter is doing is he's making a connection Back to that, to helping the people of God understand our place in this world. He's, he's reminding them, and he's saying, he's reminding us too, that we are exiles. That we ourselves are living as exiles in our current land. Because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven where God is our king and he is our Lord. So Christians are not in our home. But while we live on this world, in this current world, we live as exiles. Sometimes your passage, uh, your translation may say sojourner or aliens. But we need to understand for our Christian, our home is in another place. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Paul writes this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to Um, even to subject all things to himself. 
So what Peter's doing here is he's reminding these Christians to embrace their new identity because they had already had multiple layers of identity they had to work with every single day. Remember back in that day, Peter is, is writing to these people that were formerly Jews or Gentiles. There was only two distinctions of what you could be in the world. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And so they had these old identities that they were living with. They had cultural practices that went along the way with all of those things. And what Peter is reminding the people here today, or as he's writing to them, is he's like, you're an exile. That old identity that you were is no more. It's, it's not what you lead with. You're no longer a Jew or a Gentile. Or you're no longer known by the city that you come from. Because we know each city there had its own culture. It had its own flavor. And so what Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, is you are an exile. The past, the culture that you inherited from your heritage and all these other things no longer matters. The only thing that matters, the primary thing that you need to be known as and seen as is an exile or a child of God. So Christians, our primary identity is that of being a Christ follower. All other identities fall under that identity. And what we need to understand, too, is this elect, elect exiles, or these elect exiles, us, that Peter is referring to, he's not saying that you're exiled now because of a punishment. We're, we're not living under God's wrath, but we're called to live as exiles. We're called to live different from the world and distinct from the world so that others will see our, the way we live and they will come to know Jesus because we have hope, because we have peace, and because we have grace. You know, one of the things that I think has been so challenging, even for me to, to navigate in my life, is taking a look at being American and being Christian and how those two flesh themselves out. Has you guys ever done, ever found a struggle with that? Like, I, to be an American and to be a Christian, and I, what I want us to understand and, and what I hope that we can see today is you're not called to be an American Christian. You're called as a Christian that happens to be living in America. Do you see the distinction? Because this is not our home. Our home is in heaven, and we need to wait for Jesus to come back and to take us back there. While we live in this world, we are called to live as Christians that happen to live in America. You're like, that, that blows my mind. Well, what I want also to understand, too, is that the United States, our country, began with a desire and a connection to God. At the very, very founding of, of America was this idea that God is sovereign and that we need to, that he is the ultimate authority. And I was reading this book recently that was talking about Benjamin Franklin and, and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and how they had discussions about what is this new country going to, to, to look like. And they uh, talked about the America being founded on uh, the triangle of freedom. And this is the triangle of freedom. It says that, that like, these three things are necessary. The, the America hinges on these three things in order for there to be truly freedom. And he says it begins with freedom. People have to truly be free. They can't have someone over, over them, um, oppressing them and making them do things. But people need to be free to govern themselves. That's what they said. Self-governing people. But self-governing people can't live on themselves unless they have virtue, which is the second thing. Now, virtue is uh, the understanding of having a moral compass, of like knowing what's right and what's wrong and, and wanting to do what's right. So people have to have virtue. But then he says, in order for them to have virtue, they have to have religion. 
Something has to inform that virtue because people are not virtuous on, by themselves. People are wicked by themselves. And so if people are left alone to come up with what they think is right and wrong, they're always going to choose wickedness over right and wrongness. And so in order to have true religious freedom, you have to have freedom. And so the three things go together. We have to have freedom, we have to have virtue, and we have to have religion. Does that sound like America today? See, our country has drifted uh, uh, pragmatically and, and even in the way that we think America is moving further and further away from what we understand as God's uh, ultimate authority in our lives. People are moving towards autonomy. People are saying, I want to be a God to myself and I can be God through education. I can be God through making myself happy. I can be God. And that is anti-gospel. And what we need to understand is we live in a day and we live in an age now where we definitely need to live as Christians in America, not as American Christians. People don't need us to live some Christian lifestyle that's devoid of truth and devoid of, or just be full of Christian practices and not be full of Jesus and sharing Jesus with others. You know, I was reminded this week as Christians living in America, how deeply it hurt during 9-11. Do you guys remember 9-11? Remember the, the feelings that you felt and the, the overwhelmingness and how as, as people we called upon our faith in almighty God to see us through? Do you remember that? We weren't looking to, to a president to save us. We weren't looking to a political party to save us. We weren't looking to our military to save us. We were looking to Almighty God. As a nation, we turned to God and we said, God, we, we can't fix it. God, we need you. As a nation, we have call upon God in times of desperation, but as Christians living in America, we need to be reminded that God is ultimately in control of all things. God is our king, and God reminds us. We already know how it all plays out. In the end, God wins. In the end, we who believe in Jesus will be with God for eternity in heaven. This life is not as good as it gets. We don't need to get bent out of shape if our candidate doesn't win in November. We don't need to be bent out of shape when things don't go our way but we need to be followers of Jesus and, and take our faith everywhere we go. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. That means to represent him to the nations and to our neighbor and to our family members. I love how, Jesus, or how God gives instructions to his people as they were getting ready to go into Babylonian, uh, Babylonian captivity, as they're getting ready to go into exile. In Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, God's voice comes to, to uh, Jeremiah and says, say this to my people. And this is what he says. It gives them great instructions of how they're to live in exile. Verse four of Jeremiah chapter 29 says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I, I want to just stop there for a second. You see what he says there? Who's doing the work? God. I'm sending you. Now, Babylon, Babylon didn't catch me by surprise. Babylon is not more powerful than me. I'm sending you. I sent Babylon to you to overthrow you, and now I'm sending you in exile. Not them. So don't be worried about that. But then he goes on and says this in verse 5. He says, while you're there, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. 
and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What amazing instructions that God gives his people of how they're supposed to live while they live in exile. And I pray today that we take this and this becomes how we live as we live as Christians in America. What does he say? He says, live life, build houses, work hard, make a product, be productive, not only with kids, have kids. And then allow those kids to have kids when they're grown and when you marry them off. Be productive, be producing and, and, and multiplying. He's not saying when life gets hard and the world turns on you and you live in a hostile environment, he's not saying go live under a rock or, or insulate and isolate yourself. He says, no, live life. But then he goes on and he says, not only do you, are you to live life, but seek the welfare of the city. What is he meaning? Be productive for the nation of Babylon. That's, that's counterintuitive. What you would see if, if, if Babylon is the enemy, if Babylon is the one that's, that, that's evil, should we not just push back against evil? No, he says instead, seek the welfare of the city. Because I've sent you there. Because I've sent you there so that you'd seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. Do you see, he calls us to, to not be defensive, but he calls us to engage because we have a message. We have the message that the world needs to hear, and that's the message of Jesus. Work hard, care for the city. Do everything that we can in this season to make America a better place. We should be hardworking, pay our taxes, do the work, be, serve on boards, be a part of, of, of city and civic unions and, and, and everything else that we can possibly do to make America a better place. Not just sit back and, and rail at all the politicians and, 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 and try to make different divisions and all of that. Instead, we should be working towards the betterment of the city. We need to embrace our identity, realize and be reminded that we are representatives of heaven, we are ambassadors for Christ. And the second thing that we need to do is continue to trust in God. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time. There's so much meat here, and I, I would love to take time. I'd love to take 40 minutes and just take a look at this one verse because there's so much meat. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to give it to you at a 40,000 view, okay? So he goes on and continues on in verse two. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, it could be that Peter could have just gone through and he says, okay, I've identified Peter, I'm writing to you, uh, the, ex the elect exile, and then he could have left it by saying, may grace and peace be continually added to you and then ended it. But no, he chooses to take this one verse and in this one verse what we see 
is this beautiful statement that's connected with three prepositions that highlights God's part in our the God's part in the elect exiles. What is God doing and why is God allowing there to be elect exiles? Why would God have us live as exiles in the world? Well, we see his his mighty work and it it's the work of the Trinity. Do you see God the Father, God the God the Holy Spirit and God the Son at work? God is at work. And we see this because he says we are called elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. You see, our exile being alive, God, before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew that you'd be alive in this time, in this age, in America right now. God knew this before the, the earth was, began to be created. And that was made by the foreknowledge of God. It was part of God's plan that you would be alive right now. And because of that, somehow your life is not, not insignificant, but your life is very significant because somehow your life fits into the purpose and plan of God. And God's purpose and plan overall and in the end is going to be for his own glory. So as we wait for his return, we know that we are here to live right now because it's a part of God's plan. The second thing that we need to see is the Holy Spirit, while we wait for his return and while we live as exiles, we need to understand that the Spirit is working in us and through us towards our sanctification. What God is doing is he's taking us from the sinful people that we used to be and he's working it out so that we become more and more holy and so that he become less and less like our old selves and more like him. So the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. And then it's all this is for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of blood. Now this is a very complicated sentence. I don't have time to unpack, but I'm just gonna give you what it means. What he's saying here is that not only does God call us to obedience, but he's not calling us to obedience in our own strength and power. What he's saying is when we obey, it's because of the blood of Christ. It's because of what Jesus has done that we now have the power living inside of us to obey. So that when we are obeying, it's the blood of Christ that is sprinkling us. Just as we contributed nothing to our salvation, and it's the salvation that moves us to obey. So we don't do good in our own efforts. So as we live, we must continue to trust in God in the difficult times. Why? Because God has a plan for us. We are walking out the plan that God has for our lives. He's given us the spirit to continue to sanctify us. And he's given us Jesus to help us obey. That's the power of God is on our side. That's why we say we're not worried about things in this life because God is with you. God is for you. And look at how he ends it. May grace and peace be multiplied through to you. The two greatest things that we need as we walk this path is grace and peace. And according to this, we have unlimited supply of this. Why do we need grace and why do we need peace? We need grace because you and I are going to fail. We're going to fall down at times. We're going to get it wrong, and we're going to find ourselves uh, sinning here and there, and we need God's grace in our lives. We need that covering of Jesus' blood for God to say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. We need his grace. But the second thing that we need as we walk through this life is we need his peace. And in Christ, we have the unlimited amount of peace so that we can stare down the barrel of gun and we can say, God, I am not afraid because you are with me. Today, I want to ask you this question. What areas of your life do you find it difficult to trust in God? 
Like even right now, what's difficult for you to trust in God? Is it, are you finding it difficult to trust God with your kids? Are you finding it difficult in these days to trust God with your finances? Are you finding it difficult in these days to trust God with your health? Are you finding it difficult these days to trust God with your future? I mean, God is with us. God is for us. God is on our side if we are in Christ. Let our trust be in him. God has you in his hand. He knows the plans that he has for you. He knows that each one of us will walk through seasons of struggle, will walk through seasons of difficulties, but in the end, he's gonna call us home to be with him in heaven. Isn't that a blessed promise? Don't worry. Don't worry what your life is. Don't worry about what tomorrow holds. Just trust in God. Let's live in our identity. Let's live as Christians in America. Let's do our best to seek the welfare of our cities and of our nation and and, and of our people. Let's show the love of Christ to our neighbor that may look different than us. Let's show the love of Christ for people that may make more money than us or make less money than us. Let's show the love of Christ that people that may think different than us. In these days, let us respond by being Christians. That means being little Christ, living like Jesus. You know where Jesus went? Jesus lived his days engaging the lost. He didn't live his days hanging around religious people. He lived his days being around people that were broken, people that were hurting, people that were looking for a savior. We should too in our own lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love. And we thank you, God, um, that through this series, through this, your word, you're going to show us how to live unshakable lives. And today, it begins by helping us understand who we are. Father, we're in exile. This is not our home. Father, so we confess to you that so much of our yearning, so much of our desires are for this home. God, we want to be successful now. We want to have successful kids now. And we forget that we need to be preparing our kids and preparing our futures for eternity. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Help us to yearn for home. God, make that yearning so deep that we will be unmoved by the things of this world because this home is fading. This home is broken. This home will not last. But heaven will. So God, help us. Make us homesick. And while we wait, let us be people of trust. Trusting that you are working for our good even in the pain. Even when we walk through life and your good for our lives doesn't feel good. Help us in our suffering. God, to trust in you, to be reminded that the full Godhead is on our side. God, I pray that we would see a picture of that as we walk through the sufferings of our days, that God is for us, the Spirit is is sanctifying us and changing us, and Jesus is giving us the power to obey. Oh God, would we live and understand this truth? Because this is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see Christians living in trust in you, walking through seasons of disappointment, walking through seasons of pain that are unmoved.
Father, help us today to be resolved to trust in you fully. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.